and you're in your 50s, you're not that far away from retirement. You got a little time, but for most people, you're getting close. And you're also at a point when making adjustments to your plan now will be more meaningful than if you wait till you're in your 60s. So whatever your balance is at 50, and, and trust me, it would have been ideal if you'd had this go on in your 40s or your 30s, but most people don't, we get it. So you gotta start thinking about what is my income need gonna be when I retire? Over 56% of Americans don't feel like they're on track to retire comfortably. And it's no surprise. Retiring with confidence is not as simple as it used to be. That's why each week we talk about the many challenges in modern retirement and share some of the best strategies for overcoming each and every one. So that you can make sure you're putting your hard-earned savings towards the retirement of your dreams. I'm Brandon. And I'm Brantley. Welcome to Retire With Confidence. For more, be sure to visit retirewithconfidencenow.com. Hey, welcome back. This is the second episode of the Retire With Confidence podcast. So uh, today we uh, we want to dive into what subject? Well, today we're going to talk about the five best 401k strategies for people that are over 50. There are only five? Well, these are the five best. Oh, okay. Okay. There could be eight, eight mm-hmm. or nine. I, if I don't know. But if you want those other ones, you're just going to have to find some other podcasts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the five best strategies for people who are over 50. Mm-hmm. Do we have a lot of experience in working with people who are over 50 who have 401ks? I guess that's a good place to start. A little bit. Just a yeah. little bit. Yeah. And we've seen all different flavors. We have. Um, many people think, you know, a 401k is a 401k, but uh, they're actually very nuanced and the details of each plan can differ by employer depending on there there could be a lot of different options you could have a Roth 401k option which is very popular i actually read that according to and i think it was in 2022 80% of all 401k's managed by Vanguard have a Roth option now which was a surprising statistic for me living in the world that you and i do which is sans 401k for for us personally it's a little bit eye-opening, mind-boggling to know that the 401k landscape has transitioned to the degree that it has. Uh, Last time I was a member of a 401k plan was well over 10 years ago, and Mm -hmm. I believe you're in the same boat. Mm -hmm. So back then, the the offerings were a bit... uh, a bit light. And um, it's certainly been Very the case much. that we've been able to observe them and, and how they've evolved over time on an individual basis. But right. to, to look at the entire market space, it, um, it has evolved immensely to accommodate a number of, of additional uh, planning strategies and needs that did not exist not that long ago. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's hop into the first part on the list here. Number one, think about diversification within your 401k. So a lot of people who are members of 401k plans have a tendency to spend a very little amount of time, in, in my opinion, mm-hmm. thinking about the various options inside their 401k. For a long time, people used to concentrate a lot of their 401k wealth in company stock. Yeah, that is very true. I actually remember a day, uh, I think it's largely gone away after sort of the um, Enron and Various companies who had lots of employees that had a lot of company stock in their retirement plans. I think that's changed a good bit, but it used to be that companies, a lot of times the matching portion of the employer mm-hmm. contribution was done in company stock, or at least in yep. part, some cases in full. Um, so if you put 6% away to get your 50% match, in other words, 3%, uh, it may all have been done in company stock. Um, yeah. So obviously that was a huge diversification risk because you could also you could lose your job and the value of your uh, retirement plan at the same time. So right, 
right? If your company goes under, that's that's right. Two really bad things happening all at and once. The, and the options, the investment options, basically were just a a basket of mutual funds. That's what it used to be. Yeah, and for the most part, still still is largely. Yeah. But the the evolution there in the in the the, uh, the against the backdrop of things like Enron, WorldCom. Um, trying to get people out of being so heavily concentrated in company stock was the decision or, or rather regulation that forced um, 401k plans to create automatic investment uh, systems that kept people further away from just concentrating things in company stock. Right. And this, this sort of led the way for what we call target date funds. Right. Which are a, a composition of, of, different asset um, classes inside a mutual fund that has a risk profile that is supposed to be commensurate with the individual's age and what is kind of the consensus of appropriate risk for them to be taking on. Right. So they're they're established by rough target date for retirement. So for example, if you are currently 40 years old and you're going to retire in your mid-60s, mm-hmm. you have give or take a few years, something in the neighborhood of 25 years before you're going to retire. Right. So the target date fund is going to invest for you with a risk profile that broad sort of, of, of paradigms suggest is an appropriate amount of risk for you to take up an appropriate mix of stocks and bonds. And that's going to change over time. So you don't have to make changes yourself. If you are invested in a target date fund that has a 25-ish year target for retirement, your composition of stocks and bonds is going to be what it is now, but yeah. 10 years from now, it's going to change automatically without you having to do anything. You don't have to change the fund that you're in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're basically just a basket of other funds um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or ETFs more pop, more commonly today. It's just a basket of other funds. And so it's meant to give you some diversification and have some professional management. There's a lot of argument out there that target date funds aren't all that great. I don't know if you have an opinion about that. I don't really have an opinion. I, I think it's Probably not the greatest, but it's way better than what a lot of people choose on their own. That's sort of my. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's kind of like going 65 on the interstate. And I yeah. know there are some people from different parts of the country who 65, what are you doing that for? It's we slower have 70 here. speed have, limits down here, but. Uh, we have windier roads in winter. So like, do you have to drive that speed to be safe? No, there are plenty of people who go beyond that and they're fine. But there are some people who should stay at that speed and that speed alone. Right. So in the interest of trying to help everybody out. We we establish things that are not the best scenario in all cases, but could lead to theoretically the best outcome for a broad number of people without having to yeah. get more into the details. Yep. And I think this brings up a, um, a an interesting point too, when you think about diversification, because it's such a buzzword, it's such a big topic that's talked about so much in the retirement space um, and the importance of it. But one of the things that we've seen over the years, too, that can be equally as dangerous is over-diversification, actually, in 401k mm-hmm. plans. And mm-hmm. this usually comes about as people owning too many things and owning little pieces of each one. So what a lot of people will do is they'll look at, let's say, let's just keep it simple and say they have 10 investment options inside their 401k. They'll look at it and go, well, I'll leave uh, 20% in the target date fund, and then I'll take the remaining 80% and just distribute it evenly across the other nine funds because I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, or even worse, they'll say, I'll just pick the ones that performed the best last year and put all the money in there. <laughs> and in their mind, they're diversified, and I totally understand why we're not being critical of normal people for not understanding this. 
But what, if you dig in, what what you may find, I've seen this sort of thing before, is when you lay it all out and you actually look inside of those particular funds that they own. So let's say they own 10 of them in their plan. They may actually have like a 30% exposure to international equity. Yep. So they're not really diversified in the truest sense of what diversification means in this context, which is that you will have your portfolio balanced in various asset classes, and that will be determined by your risk tolerance as to what those percentages are. That's what, in an investment account, that's what diversification means in that context. In other words, diversifying and owning two different blue chip stocks doesn't mean you're diversified. Right. Owning a piece of Coca-Cola and Pepsi, I mean... Not going to cut it. Not, not, they, there's, there's a fair amount of overlap there between the two. The, the theory is that, that what you're trying to protect yourself against is a risk that faces the sector. Right. Exactly. So if, if something is bad for Coke, it may also be bad for Pepsi. Right. So home builder stocks in 2008 all went down yeah so you know if you owned a little dr horton and a little i'm gonna totally blank on what some one of the other um, toll kb or toll yeah you you basically own a piece of the same industry so right right even worse if you're if your profession is a a home builder and you're also buying home builder stocks on them (laughs) i think so you have to really to to think that through and don't delude yourself into thinking that you're being diversified when you're really not. All right, number two, let's talk about tax diversification of tax strategies because that's a big mm. one and that's one that is very near and dear to our heart. It is, it is. So 401ks traditionally right. have a, a tax implication that is you make a contribution, that contribution is tax deductible from your income right? and the money will grow tax deferred Mm-hmm. But when you distribute it from the 401k and take it yourself, I'm not talking about rolling into an IRA, but when you when you take it out of the 401k for the purpose of doing whatever you need to do with it personally, it will become taxable income to you. At your ordinary income tax. Yes, whatever right. that is right. for the year that you take the, the distribution. So that's fine. Uh, there's nothing inherently bad about that all on itself, but there are going to potentially be times in retirement when it will be beneficial to have different assets that are taxed differently from the strategic point of how you go about generating income with your assets. Yeah. And there's a multitude of different implications here. So um, one of the, the the subjects that's that's very, very interesting, uh, lots of buzz from a number of retirees is the impact of income that you generate with assets and its ability to turn your social security income into a taxable liability. Right. Because a lot, you can a lot earn, of people don't realize that that can happen. You can earn a certain amount of income and pay no taxes on your social security income. Right. Or you can, after earning certain higher levels of income, create a pretty hefty percentage of your social security income being taxable. Right. So if you have diversified levels of taxability of assets that you own, you can generate some income that is taxable, doesn't really mean much to you, and generate the rest of your income that is non-taxable, keep Social Security non-taxable, and also continue to minimize the tax liability that you have. So right, right. You're benefiting from the tax deduction that mm-hmm. the 401k brings to the table in most cases, but you also have a strategic ability to create income outside of just that asset, which is largely beneficial for a number of different reasons once you get into retirement. It would be nearly impossible to run through all the possible scenarios here. But 
just understand that having a diversification among taxable accounts is highly prized and very, very strategically smart once you get into retirement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're we're not in the camp of people who says you should absolutely, there, there are, a, if you don't know this, there are an entire group of people out there who suggest that you should never, ever, ever use a 401k. It's a terrible thing. Um, we don't subscribe to that. We think mm-hmm. that you should use your 401k judiciously. That's yeah. that's what we think. What we have seen over the years of doing this is that a lot of people who are at retirement or or sort of sneaking up on retirement have a significant portion of their liquid net worth in their 401k plan. Mm-hmm. And that can be problematic for people depending on what other income sources they have if they're forced to take the majority of their money that they need to live out of their 401k or some other pre-tax sort of account, they can really put themselves into a bind here. So that's why Brandon was saying there's there's a very, it's a very case-by-case situation. You have to really look at everything you have and then strategically plan how you're going to take money from one place or another. And what this, what this realistically means in a practical example uh, situation, you may be at a t- point in your 50s where you've got a relatively large 401k balance mm-hmm. and perhaps you're getting to a point where it makes sense to ratchet back your 401k contributions right. and put money somewhere else. Now, right. the good news, as we as we discussed at the very beginning of this this episode, the introduction of Roth contribution options among 401ks has really... Um, up to the, the ante on things and allowed people a, a new avenue to say, well, I'm going to stop making deductible contributions to my 401k. Right. But I'm going to start making Roth contributions to my right. 401k. Right. Or, or I might, if there's no Roth option, I may make a non-deductible contribution yeah. to my 401k. Right. Because current IRS ruling is you can roll non-deducted um, 401k contributions into a Roth IRA when you exit the plan. Right. And Roth IRAs are not taxable. Right. Because the money that went in is post-tax. It's it's actually very simple when you think about it. If you already paid the tax, you don't owe us any more tax. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, one of the few times that happens um, in the uh, in the real world. But the uh, we've made those those recommendations to people. We've said, hey, look, you've got enough money in the pre-tax part of your 401k. And I realize most of that money was put in there years before a Roth 401k yep. contribution was even possible. Yep. So stop doing that and start using your Roth contributions um, yep. more heavily so that you have at least some portion of your money in a non-taxable world when you get to retirement. So there's some portion of your money that you're just not going to have to pay taxes on when you take it out to spend, to live, to do whatever. Now, there is a dilemma that a lot of people at this age range tend to face in this context. Mm-hmm. And that is the fact that they're probably earning more than they've ever earned before in their life. Correct. So. Their higher income has created a higher tax liability because they're now in higher tax brackets. Right. Mm-hmm. So there is a tug of war that goes on here. A lot of people don't want to give up the tax deduction that they're getting from their 401k because they kind of like that. And it might result in a larger tax bill come April, uh, whatever date we've changed it to now. Yeah. Um, so that has been a bit of a back and forth that we've had with people for years now to say, hey, look, I get it. There's there's a deduction and that deduction has become more meaningful to you as you've gotten older, earn more money, 
major way into higher tax brackets. I, I do understand that. But you may, you may be selling yourself a little short here, and you may find out that the savings you will get in non-taxable income in retirement will significantly outweigh the trimming of tax liability you're accomplishing right now with a deductible contribution. And again, that just depends on your situation. It really does. Our main point on this is that none of this stuff is cut and dry. So you have to think it through and you have to assess it based on your particular situation. And that's something that we, we help people with. Are you saying perhaps it depends? Yeah, it depends. One of our most famous and infuriating taglines for, <laughs> for our clients over the years. All, All right, right, number three, rebalancing your 401k allocations. If you own different assets because you are diversified, those different assets will most likely have different expected rate of returns. Right. And in general, those expected rate of returns will pan out. Mm-hmm which means your riskier assets will tend to grow at a higher rate of return than your safer assets. Right. The dilemma that this will create for you is the fact that you will have more wealth concentrated in riskier assets and less wealth concentrated in safer assets because right. of the difference in the growth rates. Yep. So rebalancing is a way of saying, all right, I'm, 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 I'm skewed in a, in a category that for my age and my objectives isn't the best strategy here. Yeah. So I should trim some of my riskier asset position, put it in the safer spot and kind of reallocate my assets to rebalance them to the original or now appropriate balance of of safe versus risky assets that I should have. Sure. Exactly. And and, in a practical example, just so that so that people get what we're saying might be something like, let's say you've got one hundred thousand dollars. And you've got it split up such that you've got 20% in large cap value and you've got 20% in long-term bonds and you've got 20% and you get what I'm saying. Well, let's mm-hmm. say that hypothetically the large cap value stocks had a great run and now, and, and the bonds got hit that year for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Your total portfolio is $120,000, but your percentage allocation of that $120,000 is that it's 30% large cap value now and 15% bonds. So the theory is that you trim the large cap value position and distribute it to your other positions that may be now out of balance, quote unquote. There's some controversy around whether that's the right thing to do, the wrong thing to do. I think it's largely dependent upon your faith in the long-term averages, the long-term expected returns. If you actually believe that this thing is going to get somewhere close to its expected long-term return um, based on historical evidence, then rebalancing makes a lot of sense. If you're a person that thinks you got to let the winners run, then obviously you're going to have a hard time with this. Ultimately, rebalancing will be a risk mitigation play. The whole idea is that you are theoretically... You're trying to cut off the bottoms is what you're trying to do. But what you really do is cut off the bottoms and the tops. Yeah, theoretically, you could get out of balance because the market goes through a correction, but your low-risk stuff does well, and now you've got... But very few people tend to rebalance at that point. Right. So more commonly, it's the higher risk, higher supposed reward stuff takes off. Yeah. And we're just trying to get back to where we were with 60-40 or whatever the, the split is between stocks and bonds. It's a very simplified situation. Sure. So the idea is if you let it run... You may fall into a time when a correction comes along and those riskier assets fall at a much, much 
faster pace than the mm-hmm. safe assets would. Mm-hmm. The effort is to try. And, and the, the problem with market-based assets is there's really no way to guarantee that where you are is where you're going to stay at a minimum. So if you have achieved a, I, I've contributed $100,000, I have $400,000 in my 401k. Mm-hmm. So I've got a, a solid rate of return. I would like to be no less than that. Right. When it comes to market-linked assets, and this is stocks and bonds, there's no way to ensure that you won't go backwards. Mm-hmm. And that can have a, a significant impact on your retirement prospects. Absolutely. So the, the idea behind rebalancing is we can't stop rolling back entirely, but we can at least try to minimize how far back down the hill you're going to fall. Right. And that's the theory behind rebalancing. It's absolutely going to to take away some of our our overall growth prospects because we are going to be getting rid of shares of potentially higher returning assets. Right. It's just going to be part of the game. Hopefully, we're selling them at a time when they're worth uh, more Mm -hmm. and we're not necessarily able to buy the, the safer asset at a depressed time. Per se, it's great when that works out, but that's not generally what we're targeting. But we're, we really are trying to stop the losses when we rebalance. Yeah, exactly. And there's a there's a lot of different schools of thought about how frequently you should do that. Our general recommendation is once a year, just look at it once a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you, there are some people that can argue, oh, you could do it monthly or quarterly or whatever. Quarterly may be better. I've seen, I've actually seen research saying it's not. I've seen research saying it is. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the incredible edible egg. No one can agree how good it really is. But general consensus is you need to pay attention to it once a year for sure. Here's one of the problems that people run into. and It's probably one of the greatest frustrations people express when they use an asset manager that does quarterly rebalancing. Mm -hmm. A lot of those higher risk assets may have dividends. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times the reallocation for for rebalancing is completely oblivious to, to X dates. Right. So what'll happen is a rebalance will take place days before an X date. Yeah. And now you don't get paid the dividend that you would have had had the rebalance waited right. a week. Because you're so now that your trade settled before the the X dividend date. So yeah. So if you do it once a year, you're going to minimize the chances that you you skip out on a on a dividend that was due. Right. Right. Number four on our list. You should be thinking about your future income. Which is probably the most important number on the list and why it's number four. Who knows? Who knows why we do anything? Because that's, that's the way it fell. So when you're in your 50s, you're, you're, you're not that far away from yeah. retirement. Um, you got a little time, but for most people, you're, 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 you're getting close. Yep. And you're also at a point when making adjustments to your plan now will be more meaningful than if you wait till you're in your 60s. Right. So whatever your balance is. At 50, and, and trust me, it would have been ideal if you had this, this thought go on in your 40s or your 30s, but most people don't, and we get it. So you got to start thinking about what is my income need going to be when I retire? And is the money that I have capable of producing that income? And this seems like a very simple question to ask, mm-hmm. but the, the strategic implications of it are many and varied. Yeah, And it, it gets back into some of the things we already discussed. You may discover that if you diversify the taxable consequences of your accounts, the account balance that you must have is not as large as you thought. Because if you don't have to pay taxes on a certain amount of income, you don't need as much money to generate that income. Right. So this is when we have to start thinking about, all right, do I have enough money? Am I employing the right assets to, to generate the income that I need? And granted, inside a 401k, asset options are going to be relatively limited. Right. 
even inside an IRA, asset options are going to be relatively limited because for some uh, some custodians, there are certain assets that they're not absolutely impermissible in a in a, an IRA, but that that fund uh, custodian is not going to let you do it. Right. Uh, so there is a certain amount of playing inside the the boundaries that you have available to you, but you have to start thinking about okay, how do I generate the income, and do I have the money that I need to generate the income? Mm-hmm. And this this also sort of touches on the perhaps the allocations to the 401k could ratchet back and you could focus somewhere else to give yourself access to some other asset that's not available in your 401k. Right. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's something more dividend focused that's just not part of the funds that are are inside your 401k. Maybe it's an annuity. Whatever whatever the 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 things are, there are various ways, there are various assets that are very, very strong at income generation, mm-hmm. and it's time to start thinking about those things, yeah. or at least how you will take the money that you're accumulating in your 401k and translate it into income. Right. And that's that's the fundamental challenge that you really have to, to, to address. Do I have enough money to meet the income need that I think I'm going to have? Going back to thinking about being in your 50s and, and really you know, getting down to brass tacks there. If you're in a position where you're you're looking at that and you're going, well, no, I don't have enough money to generate the income that I think I need to have, then you really have two options. You can lower your income expectation or you can mm-hmm. increase the amount of money that you have and think through what is, what is the best way to do that. Because going back up one in our list here, um, or maybe two, thinking about your the the tax strategy that you're going to apply to this. I look at those sorts of things as sort of fine-tuning knobs. But mm-hmm. overall, if you zoom out, if you don't have enough money to generate the income, none of the fine-tuning actually matters. So right. that the sort of tax strategy adds to what you already have. It, it can produce more net income in your pocket, but it's not magic if you don't have the money already. Yeah, and and there's there's something you touched on that that I want to I want to focus a little bit of attention on. You mentioned that if if you look at this and you determine that you, you probably don't have enough money to generate the income that you need, right? You have two options. You can either decide, well, I'm just going to have to live off less income, or I'm going to have to save more money. Right. That statement is kind of n- unremarkably sounding, but it's it's quite um, uh. uh controversial in some sense because a lot of traditional financial advice will tell you, well, there are two other options you could employ. Mm-hmm. One is you just take on more risk. Yeah. Trying to get a higher rate of return or you extend out the time before you retire. Right. Both of those scenarios are extraordinarily idealistic in terms of the things that they believe they can control that they have zero control over. Right. You don't know that you can actually get more rate of return by going into riskier assets because you may not have enough time to actually make that work. Um, the higher risk, higher return uh, uh, paradigm really ha- operates in this time is is not something we can we're worried about. Mm-hmm. We need vast swaths of time in order for those things to play out correctly. Right. Now, right. It may be the case that over a two year period things work out perfectly. Sure. Great, but you have no control over that. Right. Delaying your retirement, that sounds great. And there are some people who will have some control over that to some degree. But delaying retirement is far riskier than people people realize. And I'm not, it, the risk aspect of it is you don't know that your employer is going to want to keep you around right. past 
your normal retirement age. And you don't know that your health is going to allow you to continue to work mm -hmm. beyond your normal retirement age. So you do not That's have a really as much common control. scenario that we've seen. Yeah. You do not have as much control over that as you think you do. So if your strategy is more contingent on those things that are extraordinarily difficult to wrap your arms around and, and actually have control over, you're setting yourself up for potentially huge disappointment. We start every conversation with that fundamental point, which is the two things you can actually control are how much money you have and how much money you spend. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, we can use a lot of historical data to try to provide some statistical basis for what you can expect, but that's not foolproof. And to, no. to go along with your point about taking on more risk to try to get a higher expected return, the problem with riskier assets is not that they're riskier. It's that they're much more volatile. Yes. And so while the long-term averages of, um, I was trying to think of something that was very, very famous for a long time. Uh, Fidelity Contra Fund. I just, yeah. that, that pops in my yep. mind. Astronomical long-term returns, but from year to year, it's a, vom mm -hmm. it's a vomit roller coaster. Yep. Um, and the problem with, with riskier assets is you have to know when to get off the ride, yep. especially in retirement. If you're 25, who cares? But right. if, if you're 62 or you're 55, you got to be thinking more strategically about that. Not saying you shouldn't own some of that, but if you're, if you're, Putting all your money in on that, hoping for that higher expected return, well, you better know when it's time to jump off because, yep. you know, the 42% uh, positive year may be followed by a 28% negative year. So, you know, you mentioned when you're 25, who cares? You have more time, but you also have far less money. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> a, a, a 20% loss $5,000 is yeah. a 20% loss of a million dollars. It's a different discussion. Yeah. So that's a couple of years the, of living expenses you lost. Yeah, yeah. The, the emotion behind that is it's so much more. Yeah. So, so much more. I agree. All right. Number five, we've made it yes. to the end. You got to tend to your 401k loose ends. So go to the barber and let them snip it. Yeah, got to trim it up. Okay. Yeah. So if you're like a lot of people, you probably have more than one 401k because you worked multiple places throughout your career. Yes. Becoming even more common, you know, as yeah. people have moved around a lot more in the last couple of decades. Like most people, you contributed to a 401k when you had a former job. Yep. You left that job, you went somewhere else, and that old 401k is just there. Right. So... The good news is you're benefiting from the assets that it's invested in, sure. appreciating over time, most likely. Um, but you got to do something about these things. And, and now is the time to start thinking about, okay, what's what's the strategy here? Mm -hmm. Now, one is you consolidate. You roll it into your current 401k plan. You can do that. Yeah. Um, may not be the best option when it comes to diversifying what you have available to you, but it does exist as an option to you. Um, IRA rollovers are, are an obvious one. And if you do that, that may open up other opportunities to you Yes. Um, when it comes to what strategies you might employ to build the best possible income for your retirement. Without getting into any discussion about asset options inside IRAs, one option that, that may be well worth considering with rolling an old 401k into an IRA is opening up the option for an IRA, a Roth conversion at that point. Yeah. So you could move your old 401k to an IRA and then convert it to a Roth. And you could do it over a course of years if you want to minimize the, the tax liability from that. Right. So that gets us back again to this diversifying taxable implications of assets that you own. And it may be a perfect opportunity to start uh, working on that strategy by virtue of, of taking the old 401k and moving it to an IRA. 
The other option is that there just may be other asset options that you can't currently employ inside your your current 401k or your old one. Right. Um, uh, we talk a lot about income. There are several ways to generate income with assets. Two that always stand out are things like dividend-focused funds. These could be dividend ETFs or closed-end funds. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that is extraordinarily strong when it comes to guaranteed income is annuities. Right. And those are things that you're not going to find inside your 401k. Um, so moving into an IRA is going to open up that playing field. You're going to have the option to start building a dividend strategy or look at what the annuity marketplace has for options for guaranteed income. And, um, annuities themselves are, are somewhat, I don't want to say complicated, but there's, there's a, a lot to discuss on that subject. Um, the, the dividend focused stuff, probably a little simpler to, to, to get through. Yeah. But, um, when you've got those other 401ks, don't ignore the opportunity that they present to you. Um, if they're just sitting there in a target date fund or, or some other broad mutual fund or old company stock, um, it's likely that you're not maximizing the utility you can get out of them. Right. So you need to start addressing those things. Yeah. And keep in mind, I mean, there's no, there, there, there's no reason for you not to roll it over to an IRA. There's no tax implication in rolling over yep. to an IRA from yep. an old 401k. So don't worry about that. It's a direct transfer from the 401k custodian to whoever you set up your investment account, whether that's Schwab or Fidelity or whomever. And technically speaking, you could roll it into an IRA that you already own that you've made contributions to. Sure. Just understand that there are certain rules regarding what we call commingling funds. Right. So 401k assets that move into an IRA where you've been making IRA contributions are now commingled. What that does is it limits your ability to roll it out of the IRA and put it into either your current or future 401k plan. The benefits of that, uh, moving it from an old 401k plan to a current employer's 401k plan, are fairly limited in terms of what they'd be able to provide you. Right. Um, but do understand that there are some rules regarding what you can do when you roll into an IRA. Now, if you roll to an IRA that you never contribute to, you will have the option, if you wanted to, to roll it into a future 401k plan. Right. Um, again, just understand that I don't these know are why rules. you would. Do, I've never come up with yeah, a good they, reason to no. do that. For most people, there's just no reason to because having your own IRA gives you basically all the choices, whereas a 401k right. has limited choices. Arguably, 98% of the people who watch this podcast, 99%, will never run into a scenario where there's any need to roll an old 401k into a new 401k. Right. We just want you to be aware that there are some things that you are sort of setting in stone if you do the rollover to an IRA where you've made your own contributions. So that's that. All right.